This is an Eye on Annapolis special update. All right, joining us on the phone this morning, bright and early on a Monday morning, is Dr. Michael Friedman from Evolve Medic. Actually, it's not Evolve Medical Clinics anymore. It's Evolve Direct and Primary Care, which is my physician actually on Forest Drive. You're right there on Cherry Grove Avenue. That is correct. Okay. I know exactly where it is. I just don't know the names of the streets. But uh, welcome back. You've been on the podcast several times. And you have written for Ion Annapolis. You've written four or five articles specifically for or addressing COVID. And as I read back through them before we got on the phone, I realized that you know you were really very, very much ahead of the curve, to use a euphemism that we're throwing <laughs> around in the COVID world. But on all of this back on February 27th, when this was just, you know, not even on anybody's radar, you said that we should, we should think about worrying about this, that this should, could possibly be a 7% death rate with deaths in the deaths in the United States in the hundreds of thousands of people. Um, I think probably a lot of people read that and went, Oh yeah. Okay, fine. Uh, here we are at 146,935 deaths. You were a little bit off where you said that, I think, that warm causes it to slow down or stop, but ramp up again in the fall. Uh, We didn't really see too much of a dip, I don't think, when the weather got a little bit warmer. But you were first out there, hand wash, keep your hands off of your face, clean your surfaces. And at that time, there was no widespread testing. Fast forward up to April 18th, um, you just said that uh, COVID restrictions could last until June 8th. And this was based on different studies that you had read and looked at and Sure enough, on June 5th, okay, so you're three days off, is when the restrictions really started to lift up and uh, Maryland started to move into phase two of uh, Governor Hogan's road to recovery. You know, and you, and you also said one thing that really stood out to me on that April 18th, and I will put links to all of these in the show notes, but you said that 80% of the cases of COVID-19 are going to be mild, but mild is two to three weeks and 10 times worse than the flu. And I, I've talked to some people that have had COVID and they totally concur with that. Um, they said, you know, I've been through the flu. I've been through, I've never been through anything like this. And uh, thankfully they were able to survive and they didn't require hospitalizations or anything like that. May 13th, you talked about antibodies and, you know, you said that a positive test for an antibody means that you've been exposed, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're immune. And I think there's a lot of questions on antibodies as to whether there is an immunity involved in this. And most recently, on just a couple of days ago, on July 18th, you had COVID rising here in Maryland. And again, it was masks, wash your hands, keep your social distance. If not, we're going to return to phase one, which should scare the hell out of everybody. Because uh, nobody liked to be stuck in their house. That's something that's a very real threat to us, I think, at this point. So, with all of that, how are you? Yeah, just lovely. Yeah. Thanks, John. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I was just looking at the Maryland numbers that just came in, and, and currently today, and we're recording this on Monday, the 27th, uh, 84,876 cases with 3,315 deaths. And here in Anne Arundel County, it's 6,469 cases with 206 deaths. And as we know, last week, County Executive Pittman sort of rolled back the reopening a little bit there and had bars closing down for interior service at 10 o'clock. And I know they cited Amish market. So it seems that Anne Arundel County is getting a little bit more serious because our cases are going up, right? Correct. Why, why, why are these cases going up? 
Uh, well, I mean, you know, that's that's a million dollar question. Um, you know, one one reason that, that we'd be concerned about is, uh, you know, with the surge in other states, uh, you have people that are traveling into those surge states, Florida, uh, Arizona, uh, Texas, Louisiana, um, actually mo- most of the southern states now, uh, and then traveling back. Uh, so they're, you know, they're bringing it with them. I think that's probably a big portion of it. Uh, and then as we social distance less uh, and we, you know, open things up as far as the bars and uh, interior restaurants and, and that sort of thing, you're just, you're in more close contact with folks. Uh, so you can you know, potentially be exposed. Well, yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you control? I mean, I know that there's some states that have these quarantine things and everything else. And my, my girlfriend had gone on a road trip up to Vermont and New Hampshire and whatnot with her kids. And, you know, there were some quarantine things there. And it was like, if you had to have a test, you could just show your positive test if you had it within three days and, and so on and so forth. You know, the quarantines were a little bit light. I mean, it was, I mean, you didn't have to like get into a hotel and sit there for 14 days. I mean, you could get out, you could hike, you could you know, go out on a boat or something like that. But how do we control these outside influences? I mean, we are a country that's based on open borders. I mean, we have zillions of people that live in Maryland that work in D.C. Northern Virginia has the same thing that goes into D.C. We've got people from PG County that want to come into here and we want to go up into Baltimore City and, and everybody's sort of, you know, swap and spit, if you will. How do we control that? I mean, if that's, if that's a factor, I mean, closing borders, that's kind of crazy. Well, um, you know, if if we had a federal policy, uh, then you don't need to, you know, wall things off separately. Um, often you don't. Um, but without a federal policy uh, affecting all states, then each state has been forced to act independently. And I, I think uh, Governor Hogan has done an amazing job and. um and he's also spoken out repeatedly uh, about uh, how the, the state of Maryland has had to really forge its own path. Um, and uh, he's he's tried to organize uh, the governors and and uh, there's a lot of frustration out there as to not knowing what to do as a result of, uh, of exactly what you're saying. But uh, if uh, things were to get worse, um, you know, one of the most effective things that we could do, we may not have the stomach to do it, but one of the things we uh, could do would be to close off the borders to Maryland, you know, without having a, a COVID test in hand saying, hey, I'm clean or quarantining, you know, once you get back into the state of mandatory quarantine, which we did do um, during phase one. Right. Uh, and I, I could tell you that countries that have been successful, um, China in particular, uh, you know, it requires a bit of a, a communist regime, but, you know, when they have a hotspot, uh, like, you know, Wuhan, they shut down the entire city and it's quarantined. Um, you can't come or go. Uh, and then that way you keep it all, you know, in that area. Um, and so, you know, when you look at Maryland, you know, Anne Arundel County, it's got 6,300 cases, uh, but PG County has um, almost 22,000. Montgomery County, 17,000. So, you know, should you consider not having PG County folks come into Anne Arundel? Well, um, some people would argue that, but 
again, you know, you can see this all playing out in live time. You know, the the freedom that you know we as Americans want to have uh, versus you know the the risk of of that freedom. Well, I see everybody losing their mind because they're being asked to uh, wear a mask. I can't imagine if you would say, "Okay, well, we don't." You know, you know, yeah. no, no, you can't go there. I mean, that's kind kind of crazy. And I and I do agree with you. I think Governor Hogan has done a very admirable job uh, on getting out on this in front, keeping up with it. And I, I think it's it's very frustrating to him. And I mean, I actually kind of like the memes that are out there. It's like, okay, now I'm ready to kick your ass. You people don't listen and <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. But I, you know, he he's done a, a really good job of keeping everybody informed and everything else as well. I think that. Um, you know, we're, we are in a – he recognized very early that we are a, a emerging hotspot after New York was, you know, sort of calming down a little bit because we've got this whole population center between D.C., Maryland, and Northern Virginia and everything else. You know, one thing that somewhat confused me was that it seems like midstream that they changed the measurement. I mean, when we were first starting this thing, it was like, okay, new cases, deaths, hospitalizations, and now they all of a sudden said, oh, positivity rating. And, mm. and you know, and obviously that's a, a – an effect on how many people that you've tested. But my, I guess my question, I mean, is what is the best metric to be looking at from a, from a medical perspective, from your opinion? And obviously I know your opinion is different from somebody else's, but the positivity rate is, I mean, is a measure, but I don't know that it is the measure. Yeah. So the, 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 the reason that positivity rate has uh, gotten to be a, uh, a more popular metric recently is that as testing has increased, and I can tell you, you know, from Evolve, uh, you know, in the early days, uh, it was nearly impossible to get a COVID test. And then uh, when the, we went into a lull uh, in um, end of May through uh, some of June, uh, it was easy to get COVID tests, and um, we were getting results in a day or two. And then as the surge started picking up in the southern states, uh, we saw the delay in getting COVID results going out 7, 10, sometimes as much as 14 days to get a result. Um, the overall rate, the number of COVID tests that have become available in what you, you know, in the beginning you needed to be like sick as stink to get a COVID test. And now uh, they're more or less available to anyone who wants them, even though they take a long time to come back, although on a side note, we, we did manage to find a lab that's returning our results in a day or two, which is really fast. That's, a, that's um, good to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's kind of unheard of uh, right now. Um, but the, uh, the reason the positivity rate is a better metric is that because as you're testing for more COVID, and this is something that Trump has alluded to, you're going to find more cases. Um, so in the beginning, uh, we couldn't test hardly anyone unless they were super sick. And we probably missed thousands upon thousands of cases across the U.S. Now, hopefully, if you have been exposed and you get tested, even if you're asymptomatic, you can get tested uh, and it might turn out to be positive. Uh, so then what you want to do is you kind of look at the positivity rate, which is relative to the total number of cases being tested. Um, so if your positivity rate is going up, um, let for instance, in uh, Maryland, I think it's around 4%. Um, but if you go to... Uh, South Florida, it's in the 20s. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, like one in four people that are getting the test are coming up positive. And that's probably what ours would have been 
early on because obviously we were testing the sick of the sick. Correct. Correct. Well, for those that are just joining or whatever forgot, we are talking with Dr. Michael Friedman from Evolve Direct Medical and Primary Care, and he is uh, we're we're shooting the breeze on on COVID here, and we just you just had mentioned that you've got a lab that turns around in a little bit more than twenty four hours, which is always good to know because I know there was uh, some people that were looking to travel that needed a test turnaround real quick, so that's always good to right. know. Um, yeah. What do you know about pool testing? I just I just read something about that. Is that and I'm woefully uh, ignorant to pool testing. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, gen- generally, what it was from what I understand is that because of the backlog in testing, what the labs are doing is they're taking 50, 50 tests and they're combining them all into one pool. And if the pool comes out negative, they're all negative tests. Yeah. If one comes if it comes out positive. Then they retest those 50 to see yeah. which ones were truly positive that affected that pool. So that way they could – because the majority of the tests that are coming in are coming in negative. I mean we, we know that. So, right. I mean it seems, like it's, it seems like it makes sense, but it also seems to dilute it a little bit and sort of take a little bit of the, uh, the confidence out of the test. Well, it does seem like it would um, you know, increase efficiency – um, and it, it does make a lot of sense from what I do know about it. Um, but, um, I've definitely not read up or spent as much time understanding pool testing, uh, as of yet, just in part because we haven't been doing too much of it. I want to switch over a little bit over here to Anne Arundel County. And I know County Executive Pittman and Dr. Colin Ironman have been very concerned about the increase in youth. And that's actually going across Maryland as well. Governor Hogan mentioned that in his last press conference and said that I forget what the exact percentage was, but it was that 18 to 35 group was um, very concerning as far as their positivity rates go, um, much, mm-hmm. much more so than the older ones. Uh, I certainly know when um, I was younger and even still sometimes in some brilliant flashes of brilliance, I feel that I'm invincible and I realize that, uh, you know, the COVID or I could speed and the police would never get me and whatever. I mean, it never, <laughs> never, never worked out. But, you know, what, you know, this is, this is a problem. I mean, the young kids today, I mean, they want to be back at school. They want to go play sports. They want to have a party on the beach because they're all going off to college soon or whatever it may be. How what do you, what is your suggestion to get reach out to them to let them know the seriousness of this i mean i i mean we can sit there and harp and harp and harp and harp but nobody listens to people that harp and harp <laughs> yeah, you've right. got you've got you've got kids right <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no and and to be honest with you especially uh back in june when all the um seniors who had missed prom and missed their graduation and missed everything you know, we're all heading down for beach week. I had a number of parents that, you know, were very conflicted and were saying, you know, they haven't been able to do anything and they want to go down and, you know, but my, my parents live with us and, you know, what's the risk and how do we main, how do we control for this risk or what can I tell them to convince them not to go? And, uh, you know, so I've given a lot of thought to this and I have no answer. Uh, is to how you convince a teen or, you know, someone in their early 20s uh, about the potential mortality um, and the potential risk for this. Uh, and, and unfortunately, you know, in our society currently, this COVID has become politicized, which is, you know, really unbelievable because it's, it's just math and science. There's people across the entire age bracket that you can't really discuss mortality with them or have these numbers have, be impactful. But yeah, particularly with um, the younger folks, I, I don't have an answer. 
<laughs> but, 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 but I mean, we need to make sure that they realize that. I mean, okay, yes, we realize that there are not very many deaths in that age group, uh, relatively speaking, but there are people every day in that age group that are dying of this across the country. And, yes. and, and so this is not... This this is not something that you can necessarily avoid, okay? I mean, if somebody tells me there's a cop hanging on Muddy Creek Road, I can take a back way down to Galesville, okay? Mm. And, and, and I, I, I can avoid that. I can avoid that risk. Going about my life today, I don't know that I can. Yeah, that's that's what's scary about this is that it's, uh, it's not obvious where the risks are, you know, because uh, a lot of people who are spreading COVID are asymptomatic. Um, or minimally symptomatic and don't realize it uh, or haven't started to show symptoms yet because you can start shedding virus two or three days before you get sick. You know, you really just don't know where the risks are, um, you know, as you would, like if a, if you found out there was a police car sitting on Muddy Creek Road. Right, right. Um, you know, and with the kids, you know, uh, and and by that, you know, 18 to, to uh, early 20s, you know, convincing them uh, that it's, it, you're right, it's their risk of, of dying from uh, COVID is fairly low. But what they're at risk of doing is killing their parents or grandparents. So you, of course, need to convey that to them, but you don't want to do it in such a way as to, you know, <laughs> I don't know cause them to be in therapy for a long time. Right. Well, I mean, you know, the, what, you know, I, th I think a lot of people will be in therapy in a long time when we get out of this thing. Just, just, I mean, I mean, this is this is really wreaking havoc on the mental health of. I mean, that's a whole yes. that's a that's a whole different conversation. But you talk about the students and the young people bringing it back to their family, and that's a very real concern. And actually, it sort of leads into where my next question was going on: is how do you think the schools are handling this? I mean, right now we're in a virtual situation for the start of schools. Is do you think? Um, and again, not from a okay, my kids are driving me crazy. They need to get out of the house. I'm not paid to homeschool these kids, uh, <laughs> point of view. And we've, yeah. we've, we've all been there. We all know that. But is are the schools on the right thing? Because, I mean, I've got to think, I mean, I, I know there are some teachers that are elderly uh, approaching retirement that are certainly in there. You've got any, any teacher that has any underlying condition may have a thing there. And students that have underlying conditions. I mean, you're going to now be exposed to, by going back into school, you're going to be going to school with, People that are not necessarily in your friends group, okay? The lax bros are all going to hang out with the lax bros. They're not going to hang out with the kids in the chess club. <laughs> you know, so they're going to be interacting with other students at, you know, in some socially distant way, obviously. But do you think the schools at this point are cautiously correct in, in the way they're looking forward to this? So, you know, one of the things you alluded to in either the February 27th article or maybe the April article uh, was uh, the fact that uh, we would expect things to settle down during the summer months. And COVID, coronavirus, um, you know, is similar to influenza. And uh, But it, it's not, uh, as I came to read and understand more, it's not so much so that the summer months, uh, the heat is baking away the virus or it doesn't survive as long. Uh, it's more about the fact that um, people are indoors during the winter and the colder months, and so they're therefore in closer contact. But one of the most critical pieces of, you know, why flu spreads the way it does and, and why COVID potentially can spread the, uh, like wildfire is that the kids pick it up at school 
and they pick it up in an asymptomatic way. Uh, and, you know, it's one thing if you get Ebola and you start bleeding from your eyes and your nose and your mouth, you know you've got Ebola and, you know, then you go off and die from it. Thank you. That's good to know. I'll keep that in mind, <laughs> keep that in mind when I wake up in the morning. <laughs> right. But the, but the bad thing about a, a disease where it's fairly asymptomatic in, in a portion of the, of the population is that they will get it. They don't know that they've got it. Uh, and then they spread it to everyone else at home. And that's a big part of uh, influenza and why it spreads so rapidly during those months. And, you know, influenza has a fairly, you know, a lot of morbidity uh, and the mortality is, is spread, always tends to be worse than the seniors, but it's spread out more equally. Um, whereas COVID, for whatever reason, does not seem to impact um, the kids under 18, 19 nearly as much. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now, the Anne Arundel County uh, death in the last four weeks, 0% under 19 right. and uh, only 3% uh, under 29. So, the, you know, the numbers are still fairly small for the younger folks. Um, so they're not really having symptoms. So, you know, it can be uh, a week or two of spreading before you find out uh, that that there's a COVID outbreak, you well, know, because it takes a while for the kid who's spreading it to infect their parents or grandparents. And then it takes, you know, another week or so for them to get sick and be diagnosed. And by then, you know, you've spread it really pretty far and wide. A lot of my friends, and I say a lot, I mean, several of my friends have said that uh, they had this respiratory thing going on early in the year before we knew, before I think the first case hit in um of, of COVID in the United States was what, January 20th or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, before that and maybe late fall that it possibly could have been here. I mean, do we have cases that really are so mildly symptomatic that people have COVID that just sort of, okay, yeah, I had three days and I had a runny nose and I was coughing and a little bit of a fever, but it went away. It was no big deal. Is that, is that a thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the current estimates are that, the actual number, the real number for COVID cases in Maryland, the, the experts estimate it to be almost three times higher than our current number listed. Okay, so at this point, we're at 84,000. So let's round up at 100,000. So we're looking at 300,000 uh, with the population. I think we got a population of 6 million. So, I mean, that's a significant number of people mm -hmm. um, that, are, that are walking around or had been walking around with this. Yeah. Um, and and as far as had been walking around with it, let's say these people have recovered from this. We don't know or do we know whether the antibodies would make them immune or resistant to a second bout of that? So they probably are immune for a period of time. Um, but what we know about coronavirus antibodies, and we know this from SARS, uh, from you know some years ago, uh, and we're starting to see it now uh, as we get a little more um, road behind us, that the antibodies do seem to fade and drop off fairly quickly. It's certainly not 100% clear whether if the antibodies dropping off mean that you're no longer immune to it, uh, that doesn't necessarily directly translate as far as total antibody numbers. Likewise, having high antibodies doesn't mean you're necessarily immune to it either. And I'm not aware of anyone that's actually gotten COVID twice um, yet, although I think there's a couple of case reports in uh, Korea and some other places that, that 
but it's highly questionable. The short of it is it does seem like the antibodies uh, do not persist for a long time, unlike you know some other illnesses where if you get it once, you're, you're immune for life. Coronavirus seems to work differently. Right. Okay. And another thing that I read too is that, and I don't know who said it, it might have been who, I'm starting to work into an Abbott and Costello skit here, but um, that uh, six weeks of mask use and legitimate social distancing could bring this thing under control for the United States. Uh, Just buckle down and, you know, you, whether it be going out anywhere, it doesn't matter whether you need to stay six feet away from somebody, just if you're out in public, you wear the mask. You know, you take it off when you're at home and you take it off when you're in the car. Um, Is that, do you agree with that? More importantly than whether I agree with it or not, I will say that recently there was a group of 150 of the top experts in the world uh, for public health, um, epidemiologists, infectious disease specialists, um, sorry, I shouldn't say in the world, in the U.S. Um, and uh, these were guys from Harvard, Yale, Wharton, UCSF, uh, all, the, all the top places, and 150 of them uh, signed on an open letter saying the only way that we're going to get this under control is the same way that all 212 other countries and territories have gotten it under control is unfortunately because of, of what we've allowed to happen here in the U.S. is we're going to have to shut it down and go into phase one again. That just masks and hand washing is not going to be adequate to bring it down. Wow. Yeah. That is, so, uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's sobering. And, yeah. you know, I, I mean, do you, do you see an end to this? I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. I mean, what, yeah. what, what would be it? I mean, and obviously you, you don't know what the end is going to be, but I mean, you know, when, when does this, when does this start to legitimately ease up? It doesn't seem that we have here in the United States. I mean, nobody in the world wants us to come visit them. Yeah, no. And, we, and, and they shouldn't, you know, we have 27% of the world's cases of COVID currently, but we only have 4% of the population, uh, we are 200, if you, you know, look at a, a rank of, you know, zero to 212, that's how many states and territories are being tracked. We are 200. <laughs> we are at the bottom 200 uh, as to how we've managed this uh, in terms of number of deaths per population, uh, number of cases per population, and, um, you know, and a bunch of other uh, factors. Uh, so it's... You know, European countries, uh, the Asian countries, you can see their curves were flattened and then they dropped down to, you know, barely perceptible levels and they've kept it down there and they've started to have small climbs and then they've done whatever they need to do to get it back under control and it goes right back down. And that is how we can live with it until there's a solution. That would be the ideal way uh, to live with this. And we, we could go into phase three. We could go, you know, have things wide open. And we just find those hot spots and we contact trace and we bring it all down. But you can't do that when the system is completely overwhelmed as it is now. You have to get it back to um, that baseline where it's it's um, manageable. Right. Well, well, the solution is is a vaccine. So a uh, yeah, long term solution. You know, there's a, a couple different ways you get to the end of this. One is you just, you know, let everyone die that is going to die from it. And that's her, that, that's herd immunity, right? At that point, is sort of uh, is that? I mean, I mean, the 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 people that are susceptible, that are vulnerable, are going to die. But then everybody will have 
been able to figure out how to fight this off. Right, right. You, you'll have developed some immunity to it now. But that number is one to two million. Um, and that's, that's a lot of people. It's a number you know, that, that nobody should be willing to even consider. Except, no. I mean, even 50,000. You know, 50,000 people, I, uh, you know, that number always stands out to me because that's how many U.S. soldiers were killed in Vietnam between 1965 and 1975. That, that seemed like a lot of people. Um, the other number that stands out to me is 3,000. That's the number of people that were killed on September 11th. So, you know, when you're talking about 50,000, 100. Thousand, hundred fifty thousand. You can quickly lose sight of what that means. Um, the other way I like to look at it sometimes is, uh, you know, the average domestic airliner has between one hundred fifty to two hundred passengers. So right now we're we're having about a thousand deaths per day in the U.S., and that's the equivalent of like between five and seven airplanes crashing every day, and every single person dying. Wow. You know, so you can imagine five to seven airplanes just smashing into the ground and everyone dying. People might be scared to fly. <laughs> and they might take some action. And if they had to put a mask on to know that they wouldn't die from that flight, I think they would. In person. Yeah. No, without uh, without a doubt. Um, when um, when do you, when do you think a vaccine will become available? I know I've you know heard speculation. You know, possibly October or November of this year, which seems very rushed to me. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I've I've heard estimates that are more in line with January, mm-hmm. um, because even once they get a vaccine and they move on to higher level testing, um, then they have to produce it in mass numbers uh, to roll it out. There's the potential that they get a vaccine that looks good for the first 10,000 or 15,000 people that it's tested in. But once you start giving it out to a million people, something that might happen only you know, say one in a hundred thousand. Now you've given it to a million people and it's happened 10 times. And, you know, we've got 400 million people, you know, if people are, if you've got a lot of people dying from the vaccine or, or having um, Guillain-Barre syndrome, which is this paralyzing um, illness that sometimes happens with certain vaccines. um, It would obviously take that vaccine back off the table, even after it was introduced. Right. I mean, I know I wouldn't be very comfortable if they rolled, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be first in line for this vaccine uh, yeah. is, you know, is kind of where yeah. it comes down to. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm relatively a healthy individual. I had rheumatic fever when I was a, an infant. And I mean, I know that probably did some damage somewhere somehow. And I don't know how that may react with whatever may be in this vaccine. And I mean, it just, it really sort of scares the crap out of me thinking that this has been rushed through and I know when everybody rushes through something, something always gets missed or not quite tested or and, – and I imagine that's – I mean you hear vaccines taking decades to come to market. And, mm-hmm. and here we're talking 15, 16, 18 months. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah. You had mentioned contact tracing on this thing. Now is that – I mean, that, that's obviously a key component of getting this under control. And I, I've got a real problem, and I, I've been harping on the county health department and the county executive on this because I think there's a huge loophole in their contact tracing. But how deep does the contact tracing need to go? I, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm definitely not an expert in that area. I've not learned as much as I uh, would need to in okay. order to, to, to answer that question. But what, I, but what I will tell you along those lines 
which is the one piece that I find a little disappointing with uh, Maryland and their approach, is that, um, as you may know, Google and Apple are are trying to put together an app that would, uh, and it's the first time they've ever cooperated uh, and worked together on something, but it would anonymously track you and uh, anytime you get within like, you know, Wi-Fi or Bluetooth or whatever it is of, of someone else's phone, um, then if they test positive, they can hit a button that says I tested positive and it will give you an alert of saying you were near someone that tested positive. You were this many feet away from them. You were in contact with them for this long and it would be uh, potentially a really good way to uh, do contact tracing. I don't think the contact tracing that, that we're trying to do right now, you know, where you interview someone and you find out where they went and you call those places. It's, I think that's going to be a real, real difficult road. Yeah. I mean, I think the technology is pretty cool, but again, you know, as yes, I'm heavily into tech myself, but I mean, sometimes you've got to wonder where, where it stops as far as how much they know about you. You know, it's, it's, Hey, it's, you know, time to get up or, you know, I mean, my watch tells me, says, Oh, are you out for an outside walk now? Maybe you want to count it as exercise. I'm like, you know, Whoa, dude, where are you coming from? Um, You know, I I mean, so, so I, I see that, but I think it would be a great idea because again, you know, that I pass through the checkout line in the grocery store probably is not a big concern for me that the person next to me had it while we were standing in line for two minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, However, if, I'm, you know, in your office with a, with an office visit and you're hanging out and we're hanging out in the little tiny, <laughs> tiny room for 20 minutes, then yeah, that may be, that may be concern um, to do yeah. that. And, you know, one thing that, that Anne Arundel County is doing and they've never, and it, and it really irritates me, but they don't have a set protocol for a business or a restaurant for when an employee tests positive. What do they mm. do? Do they, you know, miss the place and clean it and disinfect it? Do they close down? Do they keep open? And I realize that there's different, you know, I mean, if it's the dishwasher in back that never sees anybody is different from the hostess and the servers and everything else. There there really needs to be something that says, hey, okay, an employee tested positive. What do I do now? I mean, the, the state and the city and the county was very quick to say, okay, well, hey, shut down and here's what you need to open. But they're not telling them how to continue to do it. And one thing that, you know, I know is I, I've eaten outside a couple times on this and I'm like saying, if my hostess... And my server, and maybe the chef, I don't know, had tested positive in this restaurant. I wouldn't know about that because the restaurant hasn't notified anybody, that the health department hasn't notified anybody. Yeah. And they don't know who I am necessarily, maybe off of a credit card slip, but how to get a hold of me. They don't know any of my guests that may have been dining with me. And I I just think there needs to be a centralized location to say, hey, you know, and, and this is not a medical or a cleanliness thing this is not like okay yeah there was a you know somebody was hacking in the scrambled eggs or something like that i mean this is something that's just in the environment and Mm -hmm. and the cleanest you know the hospital is just as susceptible as the trash dump to get Mm -hmm. in it and Mm -hmm. uh, and and i really think there needs to be something to do that because you can't do effective contact tracing if you indeed you're going to be doing that um you know if four employees test positive in a restaurant and, and restaurants do different things. I mean, I know some that have closed down, sanitized, put everybody off and get them tested. And when they come back negative, they can come back to work. Uh, others have just said, hey, we decided to stop and close. No mention of COVID. And others just didn't open for a couple of days. No, no explanation whatsoever. 
Yeah. Yeah. The guy with the key went on vacation. I mean, you know, who knows? Um, and I, I just wish there was something a little bit better. And I, I think that the technology may work. A good majority of people have to buy into it. Yeah. And, and you know, in, and in this day and age of, uh, you know, worrying about uh, how much the big tech companies are, are tracking us, uh, it's definitely an understandable concern. But um, I think that the the social health and wellness and safety uh, and your own personal, you know, safety um, would outweigh that, that concern. I do feel pretty confident that they can anonymously track those things. Um, I'm more worried about the fact that, you know, I go to Facebook feed or Google or whatever. And, you know, I thought, Oh, you know, my toothbrush, I need to replace that soon. And, uh, you know, I've thought it in my head and somehow toothbrushes are coming up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I hear you there. Explain that. Explain yeah. that. Yeah. That bothers me more than, yeah. uh, than worrying about if I was in contact with someone with COVID, uh, letting, letting me know. Well, I will say, I, I know it's, uh, Gosh, I remember when the government was so frustrated with Apple when the um, – and I, I think it was the San Bernardino shooting mm-hmm. um, where they, the guy walked in with and, – and he had like a, a personal iPhone and they were like, yeah, no, we're not opening it. We can't open it. We're not going to do it. And the government's <laughs> right. like, well, I mean they, they ultimately found somebody that was able to hack into it. But I mean it took probably five nations and you know all, <laughs> yeah. all, all, all the brains in the world to figure out how to do it, which is – which sort of bodes well for Apple and their thing <laughs> as well. Security. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, it's uh, – you know, some of the tech, some of the tech is really crazy to sit there and, and, and understand, you know, hey, this is what you need. You need a toothbrush. And uh, well, I mean, they've got refrigerators now that you scan stuff as you put it in and it monitors how quickly you consume it. And you just push it out and it pushes a list to your uh, your phone when you go to the grocery store. OK, hey, you, need, you know, you've only got four more swigs of milk. You know, you need to pick, <laughs> you need to pick up. It's, it's bizarre. I mean, who would have ever thought this in, you know, 20 years ago that we would be living in this? Yeah, um, that would be terrible. I wouldn't want my freezer telling me that um, I'm consuming my ice cream way too quickly. <laughs> true, true, true. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you what. Looking at this from a purely medical perspective, not as a business owner, which you are. And again, for those that are just joining, we're talking with Dr. Michael Friedman from Evolve Direct and Primary Care. Um, you can find out more stuff at EvolveMedicalClinics.com. And up at the very top at the uh, title bar, they've got a, a big link for important coronavirus updates. I do recommend you check them out. They're very useful. I go there several times to make sure I'm up to speed on the latest COVID news. But looking purely from a medical perspective... And let's put you in, I don't know, the governor's seat or whatever it is, uh, where you have full authority to get this thing under control without regard to business economy, unemployment, and all of that stuff, um, which is certainly a concern. If those were no concerns, what would need to be done to bring this under control as quickly as possible? So, I mean... You, you don't need to ask me my opinion. You know, go, go ask um, the prime minister of New Zealand who did it <laughs> or, or uh, Germany or, uh, you know, a lot of other countries that uh, particularly uh, South Korea has done an amazing job. Um, you know, just get their game plan and follow it. It's, it's super easy. Uh they all went into quarantine. They stayed in quarantine until the case rate was down. Uh, they had plenty of testing so that everyone could get tested that needed to get tested and get results right away. And then they had 
really robust contact tracing so that uh, if someone did test positive, they immediately got a hold of everyone and they, you know, quarantined them and, and or tested them. So it's very doable. Uh, New Zealand, is, when I last looked, they have not had a case for a, a month now. You know, they completely eradicated it. And uh, I think the only one case they had was someone who flew in and was in quarantine when um, she got it. And they so, were they were late to the game, too. I mean, they sort of came on the the COVID radar after the United States. I mean, it's not like it jumped from China going down to New Zealand. It sort of came, you know, China mm-hmm. across over to Europe, jumped over the Atlantic, and then it then it jumped over there. I mean, this was they probably didn't have their first case until probably March or something like that, I would think. Yeah, I think you're right. Well, I'll tell you, as we wrap up here with Dr. Friedman, one thing I was just looking at, and I, another statistics I kind of look at is the heroin statistics here in Anne Arundel County. And so far through July 21st, which is the last report, they've had 368 non-fatal overdoses and 77 fatal overdoses. So we've had 70 opi- 77 opioid-related deaths in Anne Arundel County alone this year. And as we all know that it is a problem across the country, it's a problem across Maryland. And to put it in perspective, for Anne Arundel County to have 77 fatal overdoses of heroin, we now have 206 fatalities due to COVID-19. So for those that don't think that it's a serious threat, um, think twice on that, I would think. I think that's a, you know, a, a different way to put it in perspective and, you know, see that this is, this is happening to people of all ages, of all colors, uh, it doesn't discriminate against sex or gender or um, ethnicity, and it's uh, it's here. And we need to be careful. We need to be sure that we're keeping our distance, as hard and difficult as that is. And you know, wear masks, wash your hands, and don't touch your face. I mean, it's it's very simple. It wouldn't take a lot of time to make a big difference to do that. No. No, and and I'll, let me just add that you know studies have been done as far as how much does mask wearing lower your risk for getting COVID? And it's it lowers your risk by about sixty eight percent. I mean that's a that's a good chunk. Hand washing lowers your risk by about fifty five percent. So just those two interventions, um, mask wearing and hand washing, are enormous. And then if you stay with more than six feet away from people that are not living in your household and wearing a mask, mind you, your your risk of contracting COVID is down to very low. You know, I won't say zero, but it's very, very low, you know, unless someone, the other person doesn't have a mask and they sneeze or their their respiratory droplets make it to your eyeballs um, if you don't have eye protection on. Right. Um, that That's one way. But if you're six feet apart and uh, mask and hand washing, if we were all really religious about that, um, that might be able to avoid any further shutdowns. Well, do you have any? Do you have any advice? Or what t- what types of masks are best? I mean, I've seen all sorts of crazy things. I mean, I've seen the the gaiters, and uh, I, you know, I've worn some real hot and uncomfortable masks. I know the paper ones tend to be a lot more comfortable in heat. Let me just say uh, for a moment. And, and uh, this is a little political, but you know, Tony Fauci and um, and the U.S. government were not recommending face masks in the very beginning. And part of the reason that they weren't recommending face masks, a big part, was they didn't want Americans to rush out and buy up all the masks so that they would not be available to the healthcare workers that already were suffering from severe shortages. So like I, like I think, they did with toilet paper. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but is um, uh, currently, you know, it's obviously now we know things differently than we didn't know at that time. But have a mask that has at least three layers one of which can be cotton, and there's a lot of uh, bandana-type masks. Those are not so good. Um, you really want something that has three layers. The ideal masks, you know, the the N95s and the P100s and things of that sort that are used primarily by medical personnel are still in short supply throughout the country. Uh, so I, I know that Amazon, uh, you still can't buy them unless you've documented that you're a medical office um, or medical personnel somehow. But uh, an N95 is probably the best thing if you can get your hands on one, or there's uh, very similar models to that. I think, I'm not sure if we've got that posted on our COVID webpage, but uh, I can certainly put up a list of the best masks. They have a list from best to worst that, that's readily available. Well, that'd be helpful. I'll tell you, if you're interested in that, go to evolvedmedicalclinics.com. And right up in the top title bar, there's a big link that says important coronavirus updates um, right next to the privacy policy schedule of visit, health portal, and sitemap. It's always a pleasure to talk to you and to get um, the insight here that uh, I certainly don't have. And I think it's sobering, it's good, and we still need to get our act together. And we're not doing as good of a job as we could be doing here in Anne Arundel County here in the state of Maryland or here in the United States. And it's, it just shows, I mean, I, I look at the Johns Hopkins map and I remember when China was just that big glowing red blob and, <laughs> you know, the United States had a couple dots and, you know, this glowing red blob has now been stuck here on the United States since probably April. And as I look at, you know, how quickly this is spread, uh, the first case in January of 20 in the United States, it took... Anne Arundel County, 53 days to get our first case. And then it took 36 days to get to 1,000, 16 to 2,000, another six to get to 3,000, 14 days to 4,000. And lately we've been looking at about three weeks to get 1,000 new cases. So this thing is out there. It is spreading. It's dangerous. It's killing young people. It's killing old people. But more importantly, it's uh, giving the horrible ability for young people to be able to take this and carry this on to the older people, you know, the parents, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, the neighbors. And that's just uh, something that nobody should uh, be willing to accept as a possibility out of this, especially when it's preventable. I'm with you. Dr. Friedman, thank you very much. Again, EvolvedMedicalClinics.com is the website. They are located right off of Forest Drive on Cherry Grove Avenue behind like Lido's and CVS right there. My favorite doctor in town, and I hate all doctors, so that, that comes with that comes with a, you know, with a high, you know. Uh, we'll take it. That's, that's, that's high praise. But uh, again, thank you very much for your time this morning, and um, we look forward to talking to you again in the future. This has been an update from Ion Annapolis. Please visit us at ionanapolis.net. Follow us on Twitter at ionanapolis. And be sure to subscribe to our daily news brief podcast, which is delivered every Monday through Friday to your phone or device at 7 a.m.